to the Boiled Out Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live and lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Don. Howdy, Don. How are you? I'm good, Sam. How are you? I'm all right. Hey, folks, I'm Sam. Uh, so, Don, I just want to point out that, uh, you know, this is the meeting after the meeting. Yes, it is. But seeing as how, now, we do have a guest here. We so, two out of three of us today are yeah. at the meeting after the meeting. Yeah. Because one of us played hooky mm. today. It wasn't exactly hooky. It wasn't exactly hooky. No. I had to work this morning. <laughs> oh, that pesky adult responsibility I had thing. adult responsibilities. <laughs> that thing that we can actually show up for life today now that we're not drunk. <laughs> that uh, reminds me of a joke. How many alcoholics does it take to screw in a light bulb? One. He just stands there and the world revolves around him. That's it. <laughs> I was going to say, who the hell remembers? <laughs> oh, that's good too. <laughs> we have a guest. We do have a guest. Howdy, guest. Who are you? I'm Charles, and I am an alcoholic. You sure are. I sure am. <laughs> Charles! I'm glad you're here, Charles. It's good to be here. Happy I'm, to be here. I'm glad you could join us here on the Boiled Owl Coffee Club podcast. You've got uh, a rattlesnake with you, so you better watch out, because this owl might attack. Yeah, I figured I'd bring along some variety. I brought a, I brought a rattlesnake for us. Fried rattlesnake. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta have a balanced meal, you know. <laughs> Sometimes you gotta feed the owl. <laughs> well, Charles, how old were you when you got sober? When I got sober, I was I was twenty six. It was January sixteenth, and um, what year was it? <laughs> Those memory cells. You that know. doesn't Two matter. That doesn't ago. matter. So, yeah. so how long have you been sober? Two and a half years. Two and a half years. Almost exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This July. What was your going on internally with you when you went to your first AA meeting? Like, you know, why did you go? My first AA meeting was, you know, I really didn't know what to expect. I, I had been, I'd been moving toward AA very, very slowly. I, you know, my dad's a pastor. And so I was, he, he's very familiar with the program because he sends, he refers people to the program a lot. My first AA meeting was after I, I started going to therapy because I thought I was depressed. I mean, you know, I never thought that alcohol was the problem. I, I always just thought that sure. you know, other, either other people were the problem or my, maybe I was depressed or sad. I didn't know what was going on. Let it be anything besides alcohol. Yeah, yeah anything but alcohol. alcohol. Exactly. Bad. Exactly. So I, I went to go see a therapist and she told me that one of the first, I remember one of the first questions she asked me was, well, how much are you drinking? And I just remember thinking, wow, that's a weird question. How much am I drinking? And I was, for some reason, honest with her. I said, I drink about, at the time I was probably drinking about eight or nine drinks a night. You know, I, and I didn't think that was weird. I know. I didn't think that was weird. I thought, this this is just normal. And I've heard people say in the rooms that, now that they thought, oh yeah, what I was drinking was, I thought it was normal. I mean, I yeah. everyone else around me drank as much as I did, so, or at least I thought. Sure. So she immediately just reacted kind of, oh, that's, you think that's normal? I said, well, yeah, everybody I know drinks like that. She's like, I don't know if they do. I think that that's all in your head. <laughs> she was decidedly not an alcoholic. Uh-huh. <laughs> no. I said, yeah, I got asked the same question, and I lied and said three beers a night. And the guy said, three beers a night? Every night? (laughs) It was eight, you know. (laughs) Actually, somebody in the program here in Greensboro asked me, I remember I was at work, and he came in at night. I used to close at Tate Street Coffee. And he says, I was talking to him about it, and I said, hey, is, is eight drinks a night? Is that okay? What, what do you? Th- I knew he was in the program, mm-hmm. and he said to me, really honest. He said, "Do you think that's okay?" <laughs> Good question. <laughs> this moment where you know I just kind of look up like, "Hmm, no." <laughs> but it was a great question. That's all he said. And then he walked out, Ooh. and that was before I even saw the therapist. So. Isn't that a great way to answer something, though? I mean, mm-hmm. so you know, at this meeting that we were at this morning, that that Don couldn't make his way to for exactly. some reason. 
you know, we were talking about someone who... <laughs> oh, is that going to be the <laughs> it, it might just the be today, podcast? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, someone was talking about uh, their sobriety date and questioning, you know, what should it be? And what continued to come up was, you know, basically everyone's answer uh, in their own ways was, we keep track ourselves. You know, I, I'm the one who decides what my sobriety date is. Mm -hmm. And when I have to make these decisions, just like that question that was posed to you of, what do you think? What do you think? Do eight you or think? nine drinks a night a lot? Right. You know, mm -hmm. this is an inside job. Now, yeah, I need help. Oh, yeah. I need the help. I need help of the fellowship. I need help of the program and a higher power. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, I'm the one who has to decide what I can live with. Right. I'm the one who has to decide I have a problem. Yeah. So you decided you had a, had a problem and went to a meeting? I did. And I, I think the thing that uh, drove me to the meetings first was I refused to believe I had a problem. But what really drove me in was fear, just extreme fear, because I had moments where I would, you know, I'd be talking with friends before going out to the bar and or before going to a party or even before going home. And I would say, I remember saying this, I think it was to my brother. I, I don't remember. It was to somebody close to me. And I said, you know, because I wouldn't have said this to just anybody, but I said, I'm not really sure how tonight's going to end up. And I'm afraid. Mm -hmm. And, you know. Being in the program now, I realize that that's what they mean when they say powerlessness. You know, I, I it has to be because I had no Ooh. clue how the night would end up. I didn't know where it would go. I didn't know if I'd wake up injured, which happened a few times. You know, I'd wake up with bruises. I mean, I nothing too serious, but, you know, and I just never knew where I'd be. I'd wake up all kinds of places. I woke up in my car one time when it was like, I felt like it was below zero. It was probably about 20 degrees outside snowing. I woke up in my car just shivering. Mm. You know, one time I came to and I was actually... I was trying to get in the window of, there's this girl I was seeing at the time, I was trying to get in the window of her house, and I like, come to, and the back of the window hit my head. Man. And I looked in my text later, and realized that she said, oh yeah, you can go into my house. And I guess it was locked, so I figured I can just climb in through the window. <laughs> <laughs> and you passed out half in, half out of the window? Yeah, and I, awesome. I came to half in, half out of the window. And then I just crawled in, like went to sleep on her bed. <laughs> Well, I love that you're, I mean, you are describing one of those perfect things that, that you hear in the rooms that mm -hmm. some of us don't really quite get until we come around and hear someone else share it. Yeah. And that's that thing of when I take that first drink, I can't predict how it's going to end. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's it. And, you know, a lot of people would tell me when I got sober and they found out I was in the program, they said, well, you're just such a nice, mild-mannered person. I never, I never would have expected you had a problem like this. Right. And it's, He's such a sweet boy. Yeah. I mean, I, people would say that to me. They're not thought, seeing you wake up no. from being passed out half in and out of somebody's window. Exactly. And they how did you feel me. when you woke up? When I woke up? When that, in that instance oh, in particular. Well, how did you feel when you woke up, hit your head on the window sash? Well, I, I usually woke up and just felt confused. You know, I, I had pains. I didn't know where I got them from. I was mm -hmm. like, where am I? How did I get here? You know, the night's just a haze. Because, you know, my goal was to black out. That oh, yeah. That's what I wanted. Is every night. I drink if you're not gonna. Yeah, you're gonna what, remember. That's just gonna piss me off if I don't. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to remember it. <laughs> <laughs> but so I usually just felt I felt confused and and that fear eventually drove me to, you know, to get counseling. I mean, I, I was I was going through a lot of relationship issues at the time, or at least I thought that was what the problem was. And I um, my parents said, well, maybe he just needs to go to therapy. So I tried it and. Then that's when she asked me, you know, how many drinks are you drinking? Mm -hmm. And so it finally clicked to me that after, I mean, after a few therapy sessions and talking to people in the program, and I hadn't gone to a meeting yet, and I was still drinking, I finally thought, you know, I, I think I'm going to try going to a meeting. And it was the most terrifying. I mean, it was just another fear thing. I mean, I was afraid of everything. Fear mm -hmm. ruled my life. I mean, I've come to find it completely overwhelmed me. I mean, it was all I, and, you know, I have fear today, but it's nothing like, it, it controlled my every emotion. Like, you know, I hear people talking about how they drink before they would go out to the bar. Oh, yeah. Right. I had so much social anxiety that I couldn't. I had to be at least three drinks in I, before that was I could talk to people. It was horrible. And I don't do that today. Like, what we're mm -hmm. doing here right now would have horrified me. Mm -hmm. Now I can just sit. It's, it's a fantastic just experience. Just relax as anything. I was at a meeting last night talking with a uh, sponsee after the meeting. And one of the things that I noted, because there were so many people, it was a young people meeting, there were so many people hanging out outside after the meeting, mm -hmm. that it was like a party. 
And what I, what I noted is like, you know, I used to have to be drunk to go to the party. And if I was at a party and I wasn't sufficient, sufficiently intoxicated, mm-hmm. I was leaned up against a wall oh, yeah. with like the shields up of leave me alone and, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And now, you know, this is a party. I mean, mm-hmm. who would have thought hanging out at, after a meeting? Oh, yeah, definitely. But yeah. It's, totally it's totally a party. A party. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I used to have to use, like, the phone shield, you know? Oh, yeah. Don't talk to me in the bar. <laughs> 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 but then, um, I don't know, you know, after, after I finally admitted to myself that maybe this was what, the direction I had to go. I mean, I had no idea what happened in the meetings, but I thought something's got to change because I can't, I can't keep living like this. It's miserable. And I was... I was, I thought I was too young. I was 26 and I thought, man, I'm just going to be this young guy and, you know, there aren't going to be, it's all going to be older men. There's not going to be any women. There's not going to be anybody my age in the, in the meetings, just old white guys. Bunch of winos and yeah, trench yeah. coats. I mean, I had all those things, the things we joke about. I yeah. had all those perceptions. Me That's too. what I thought it was going to be. And, um, I've actually found out that I was not the youngest person I knew in AA, especially after going to some of those young people's meetings. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are people who come in 18, 16. Right. Oh, yeah. You know, and it's... Well, well I think what's a, was amazing when I came in, I expected, I mean, I had all those expectations, but I expected everyone to be sick. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize I was going to walk into a room full of all these healthy, intelligent, laughing... laughing the laughing, especially. Laughing. Yeah. Yes. And just having the best time and, stay, you know... The, I, I thought it was like a party. The fir- first one I, meeting I went into and everybody was standing around outside with these red cups. It looked exactly like a keg party. Mm-hmm, yeah. And they're all laughing and t- cussing and talking about God. And I'm going, this is not what I had in mind. <laughs> no, I mean, that's not. what you expect. <laughs> so, no. so you were afraid going into your first AA meeting. Oh, absolutely. I think we probably most of us oh, are. Yeah. Yeah. So with, what was that like reason. for you? With good reason. Well, the yeah. first meeting I went to, is a, it's, a, God, it's a great meeting. It's in Winston. And um, I was meeting a guy there who was actually a church member. My dad's a pastor, and this guy was a member of his church. And he agreed to meet me there. And, you know, I, I drive up, and it's this packed, just packed parking lot. People all out front. I can't see him. So I almost turn around to go home. But I don't know what it was that kept me. It kept me on track. It made me walk up to that door. And I walked up. There he was standing there waiting for me. He had his phone. Cool. He just sent me a text. And I walk in, and it's just this room lit with candles. You know, they do those, those candlelit meetings. I don't uh-huh. see many of them these days, but maybe they still have them. I'm not sure where, but they still do it. And it was just such a surreal experience. I mean, I, and I sat down, and I immediately felt comfortable. And people were being honest. People were talking about being afraid. Or people were talking about being confused, not knowing how to deal with their problems. They were talking it out. And I, I was just baffled. People are actually honest. I wouldn't. T- I don't even tell my family these feelings. I right. Yes. You know, like I don't want anybody. Even my best friends, I would keep at arm's length. Sure. And the, you know, when you're talking about laughter. That's actually what made me pick my sponsor. My current sponsor is, you know, I well, we I knew one of his sponsees at the time, and I met him at the coffee shop, and I, he just laughed so much. I thought, how can this man be laughing this much and have this problem that we have? I want what he's got. I want to be able to laugh, like really laugh, not like a put on. Oh, <laughs> yes, thank you. Like yeah. a real belly laugh. That's joy. what he was doing. Joy. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I could just sense it. You know, I could sense this joy welling up from him. And all the, a lot of people in AA, but especially from him. And so I thought I have to ask this guy to be my sponsor. <laughs> yeah, that continues to be one of the things that I and I've said this on several podcasts. So forgive me, folks. But um, a, a friend who who talks about how when he came to the rooms. He thought that, all right, well, this is what life's going to be. It's going to be kind of like a consolation prize. Mm-hmm. And what do you know? It's you over. turn out to get the grand prize. It's not a consolation prize. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And that was such a that was such a freeing thing for me. You know, like I, I, well, I had one bad night. I'd been floating around AA for about two months. I'd been to one meeting. I, you know, I'd pick up a chip and then I'd go home and buy two bottles of champagne, down them, and think about not drinking a little more. <laughs> you know, I'd go online and read the... I remember one... I, I, I tell this when I speak sometimes. Is I was, I'd read the promises online, you know, how they post it on the website, and I'd just read the promises and, like, have the bottle of champagne and drink it. And I, I think I'd have, like, a Netflix show going on at the same time. <laughs> I'd be like, man, I really want that while I'm drinking the champagne yeah. bottle. Yeah. And then, so finally... 
I had a really bad night and I woke up, um, well, I don't remember most of it, but I woke up the next morning underneath a card table. We'd played cards at some point and I, um, I had my jacket around my legs and like my pants were all the way down and I was just like in this crumpled position. I had these aches and pains. You know, you sleep on a floor. It's not comfortable. True that. <laughs> <laughs> and so I had that taste in your mouth when you've smoked too many cigarettes, you know, yes. the old residue just sitting in there. And then I thought, I can't, this can't happen anymore. And everybody else had left. It was about noon. You know, everybody else had gone. It was some one of my friend's apartment. The next day, I, actually, I think it was that day. My memory's really hazy about that day. But I think uh-huh. it was that, either that day or the next day that I immediately, I had the guy I wanted to ask to be my sponsor. Mm-hmm. I texted him. I said, can I meet you? And I meet, he said, yeah, come to my office right now. He works at UNCG. And I walked into his office and asked to be my sponsor. That's fantastic. Is that yeah. when you quit? That was the last day. I never oh. drank. Yeah, I went to a meeting that night with him. It was a Monday night, so it was the uh, the home group right before the way out. Mm-hmm. I showed up at the way out and haven't drank since. So you had you came into AA, and that really kind of ruined your drinking big time. Oh, yeah. After that point, and you got kind of got beat into a state of reasonableness by alcohol. <laughs> Why are you laughing at that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because I've done it. I did it. <laughs> I didn't do it in AA, but I sure did it right before I came to AA. It was mm-hmm. like trying my best to figure out some way to not go to AA. Mm-hmm. Anything but AA. <laughs> Anything but AA. Yeah. And uh, to go and then to go to meetings and have all these clear-eyed people that were really healthy that made me uncomfortable because I felt bad about myself. Mm-hmm. And all these people, I was like, what is it with these people? They were like... Uh, on fire or strangely healthy. They had to be lying. <laughs> they yeah, had there's to be something. Nobody goes that long no, without yeah. taking a drink. Yeah, it certainly no. can't be that happy. Right. What's the line from the dude? <laughs> the old fella was on fire, all right. Well, <laughs> my my drinking could outlast him, you know. But <laughs> Yeah, that was it. Uh, talking about Ebby. Talking about Ebby, but I had that feeling these people was like something something was up with these people and event and it was really attractive because they seemed so healthy. Mm-hmm. And that was it. That's what I went to the well the way out and a few other meetings and I wanted I guess we call it serenity. I don't know. I wanted the I didn't want to have to be in my head all the time, all the time being ruled by fear, being ruled by anxiety constantly. And I never thought I'd I never thought I'd get there. I mean I thought, man, these people must spend years getting to this point. And turns out it was I mean, it's just simply working the steps, showing up for life, showing up for meetings. So how, did it for when me. did you begin to see a difference in the way that you felt in your experience in early AA? Around about a year I started to notice a difference. I mean I I tried to work the steps as hard as I could and I still wasn't feeling any better. But I would, did you get all the way through the steps? I did. Uh-huh. In that year? Mm-hmm. Okay. In the first year, roundabout. I think it took me about a year and maybe two months mm-hmm. before I completed the steps the first time. And I think right around my first anniversary, I started feeling like, okay, I think I finally reached the peak where like, I at least feel good enough that I know it's working. I know I had a lot of work to do, but I felt like I felt better. I wasn't anxious all the time. I was actually enjoying hanging out with people. You know, I could have conversations where I wasn't always, you know, thinking about what I have to do or what I got to do next. I could be present, like what they talk about, be present. Mm-hmm. And that was, yeah. you know, that was probably the most shocking, in a good way, thing that happened to me was realizing that I can be present. And even today, you know, I struggle with that today. But but being present is a magical thing when you think about it. Like when, it, when you cool. feel it, it's like, wow, it is cool. That in that moment, and the other thing that I got is that I don't have to be on stage. Yeah, and that was one of those things uh-huh. that you know I was I was faking mm-hmm. to everybody in the world. And when I come to an AA meeting, at least I mean I, I, I'm in a, a customer facing role in my in, in my work life, and if I'm having a shitty day, I'm not going to bring that to my customer. I'm going to put on the face and be on stage and take care of them the way they need to be taken care of. Mm-hmm. But if I'm having a shitty day, I don't have to fake like I'm not having a shitty day when I go to to be around my friends in AA to an AA meeting or anything like that. No, you don't. So I can be in that moment mm-hmm. and be true to who I am at that moment 
and let you know. And that, in fact, that helps you. Yes. I mean, that's, yeah. uh, that's where it is. If I'm honest about how I'm feeling and sharing that with other people in AA, I mean, it doesn't work to do it with people who aren't in AA. Necessarily. They'll feed the be, problem. But, yeah. <laughs> but with people in AA, because they will know to turn me back towards the program. Bingo. You know, I've got to turn my thinking back to the present moment. I got mm-hmm. to I got to give it up to God. I got to give the problem up to God, and this it's lifelong this letting go thing. I mean, I'm still letting go. I'm letting go as hard as I possibly can, Sam. <laughs> I don't know. I'm seeing some clenched fists there, buddy. <laughs> White knuckle. <clean. laughs> and there's no there's no end to it. But I I'm I don't know. It's like in the past year, I had a stroke. You know, within the past year. And I have no physical deficits from it. And I'm blessed that I've recovered to that extent, but it's completely altered my thinking. And it has helped me to give up in ways that I never gave up before, caring about things that I have no control over. If I don't have control over it, I'm just not going to spend any energy on it. And... That goes on and on and on at that level of where am I going to let go? Because I still, I'm totally involved with the world and totally envisioning the future. And But I'm just not going to fight fights I can't get any traction on. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm giving them up. And it is easier. It's so much easier. So much easier. We have ceased fighting anything and anyone. It says yeah. that in our text. Yeah, which is really a remarkable thing to say. If you really, I had a sponsee that was called me up and he was taking a shower and he said, you know what, I was taking a shower this morning and it suddenly hit me. We give up fighting anyone and everything. And I was going, yeah. He was going, yeah. And it was like it had <laughs> sunk in in some way for him. It's really deep, man. <laughs> it's really deep. <laughs> 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 That's but it's the truth. It is that deep. It is, and but it also it comes in uh, peeling the onion. It, it comes yeah. in layers too. I mean, you've been sober how many years now? Yeah, twenty two. It's actually twenty three. I can't keep up. Twenty two years. You've been living this life, and you're still finding that there are things to let go of, right? To stop fighting, and that every time you you do that, you let go of one more thing. Living life gets a little easier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you can still be concerned and engaged because I, I, when I first came in, I was like really confused by this letting go thing. This letting go, does that mean giving up? Does it mean not caring? What are you doing? Who's going to tell me what to do? You mean I've got to do what other people say? Those were the things that were really upsetting and I couldn't get my head around them when I first came in. Mm. Yeah, for me, letting I have trouble. I had trouble in the beginning letting go because I didn't know exactly what people meant. But when someone said to me, "Let go and let God," I'd heard that before outside the rooms. Mm-hmm. I had a complicated relationship with God when I came in. I mean, as we all do, because my dad's a pastor, mm-hmm. so I had a very like, cut and dry view of what, like, what God was. And you know, gosh, I, have a, I had a great have a great sponsor who just told me that help me break down what that means, like what it means, what a higher power is versus what God is. Because I was raised in a Christian household, you know, and this mm-hmm. is very cookie cutter. Not that Christianity is cookie cutter, but my view of Christianity was cookie cutter. But you, you had it defined for you rather than right. you being able to come up with your own Exactly, exactly. And so when we talk about letting go, I, you know, I would never let go to that God, the God that I was raised with, you know, I would, because I just, I didn't trust that God. You know, I really didn't because it wasn't a God of my understanding. It was a God of my, not necessarily my father's understanding, but my, up, my upbringing's understanding. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for me, it was easier to let go when I defined my own higher power. And it was, even today, it's remarkable how when I do let go and I do trust God, things always work out. Always. Maybe not always the way I wanted them to, but, you know, they always do. But they do work out well, don't they? They do, yeah. yeah. They do tend to work out. One way or another. <laughs> so, letting go, I know that you're in school now. I am, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm in school. I'm at a, well, currently I'm at Princeton Seminary. 
studying to be yeah studying to be a pastor uh, actually right now i want to go into counseling but it can change that it's always changed i've <laughs> flipped through professions so many times sure mm-hmm. but yeah i'm just on summer break right now well so there must be some serious letting go to do in college with i know you've struggled with that well just with all the changes of moving what what's that been like well it's it's been tough going back to grad school late i mean i'm 28 now and i I have a lot of, just because of my journey in recovery, I felt like I had to have it all figured out when I was younger. You know, so many of my friends, like I have high expectations for myself. I'm a perfectionist. So I always <laughs> that's thought, shocking. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I don't know any other so alcoholic shocking. that's like that. No, I don't either. Especially not Don. And most people uh, go <laughs> no, to he's grad. an enthusiast. Most, right. people who, <laughs> <laughs> most people who go to grad school don't have any problem and don't, don't really have any stress. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of stress. I mean... <laughs> A lot of stress. Right, no stress. <laughs> you, you, you painted yourself as rather you, uniquely having problems with that stress. But I know that I've actually sponsored two other people that have gone through. And, God, it is stressful it's as can really be. really stressful. I mean, it takes up so much of your time. And it's different to work a program when you have all the time in the world. All I worked was a, I worked a coffee shop job. I mean, I only worked 30 hours a week. Mm-hmm. I can go to a meeting a day, no problem. You know, and in grad you, school, you don't have deadlines. No, and in grad school, you know, you have mountains of reading, class, all kinds of internships and stuff you have to do, and you have to work your program in, and that's been really, really tough for me. I mean, and, I well, but you're also doing this in a completely different location. Yeah. So you're mm-hmm. you're having to become a part of a community there. Yeah. So I would say that I would I would think that that would add a nice twist to it. Absolutely. I mean, it's a whole new social environment at school, and then a whole new AA environment. So it's you have to reset. I had to reset everything. So what did you do so, to do that? I just hit the meetings as hard as I could. I mean, I tried to make myself known. I tried to show up, share. Mm-hmm. You know, I even did a few speaking engagements because my sponsor told me the best way to get people to know you is to talk. Absolutely. So that actually helped a lot. I had a lot of people, after after I spoke, a lot of people would call me asking me how I'm doing if I didn't show up to the meeting. Mm-hmm. So it was almost oh. like a second, what would you call it? It's almost like a second um, year, like your first year. It was like I had to reset again. So it was an interesting process. And to meet all new people, make all new contacts. But I got through it, but with the program. I mean, I I, I made a meeting every day for the first three months I was there. Fantastic. And I don't remember. I don't actually know really? how I did that. Because mm-hmm. 90 and 90 is impossible. I mean, how can anybody possibly yeah. do 90 meetings in 90 days? It's, it's completely it's, impossible. I can't believe people ask us to do <laughs> yeah, that yeah, stuff. Yeah, we do it all what the a time. ridiculous order. <laughs> <laughs> I can't go through it. <laughs> but, yeah, you did it in grad school. That's re- that's remarkable. That's a commitment to recovery. Yeah, I mean, it was really, it was a, it was a good process for me because it it was almost like letting go again, and I didn't want to do it. I mean, I'd become sort of comfortable in AA in Greensboro, and I had sure. a I had a really good network, I had a great network, and just having to redo that again is kind of, I don't know, it was exhausting. <laughs> mm-hmm. Was there but, fear? There was fear, but I had the you know I had the tools to deal with it. I had, yeah. I had people who, when I would say, I mean, I knew a lot of other people up there because Princeton's got a lot. I mean, there's not only Princeton Seminary, but Princeton University's there, of course. And then there's uh, writers in the area and there are people who are, who go to New York for grad school. So there's a lot of people in school in that area. And mm-hmm. it's a lot of people in AA in grad school. And, you know, there was a Wait, lot of well, advice. Wait, is this like grad school will drive you to drink or something? Or? <laughs> That's a good observation. <laughs> <laughs> there's probably a lot there's of drinking days. going on in, in grad, grad school. school. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's a lot of people Sure, I mean that's, that's the right age for all college. I mean that's yeah. But the bizarre thing was actually that it's funny there were there's not many people my age and in grad school in Princeton. You'd have to sort of leave the area, to, which is I, I expected it to be mostly younger people, but it's mostly older people mm-hmm. up there, which was kind of odd. But but yeah, so at least for me, those the first three months of sort of resetting my AA was like it was kind of a wake up call and like. When they talk about doing it a day at a time, grad school is not really designed to help you do a day at a time. <laughs> you have to think, you know, months, even years in advance. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was, I had to intentionally go about limiting myself to a day at a time. Do what you got to do today. And that starts with a meeting and it ends with just getting done what I got to do, you know. So. I think it's interesting that you're in seminary and you had problems with your idea of what God was when you came in to talk about that, how that's changed and where you are with that now. And how did you end up going to seminary? Well, 
I never thought I never thought I would go to seminary. I want to say that because I just never. I was like, I'm not going to be my dad. I'm not going to be anything like my dad. I love my dad, but mm-hmm. I did not want to go into that profession. And um, I think I had God in a box, you know, just a very tiny, neat little box that was understandable and conceivable. And before really, AA, before AA, mm-hmm. oh yeah. And it was really AA that more so than even seminary. I mean, I, this is so true. More so than even seminary, AA taught me about what God looks like before seminary did. Because, you know, in seminary, there's so many theories and there's so many abstractions. But it, it was really AA that, sh- that told me that everybody has their own conception of a higher power. And that just made it so much bigger than what I at first conceived of. I mean, just beyond anything that I can conceive, you know. So, I don't know. It was really AA that opened me up to the idea of God's larger than what we can put labels on. Like, we can't really put a label on God. And that was just freeing for me. Whereas in seminary, it's really more about hashing out, you know, what this th- what this thing is, what the deal is. And, you know, it's just so much easier for me to say, we don't know. It's bigger than us, you know. How do you balance that? I mean, is it is it real? What to, Does it feel real for you? You mean like the... The God uh, that of you're... Of Of balancing the God of your understanding with the God that you're studying with the history of Christianity mm-hmm. in what denomination? I was raised Moravian. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, it changed, my conception of God changed a lot, but it also a lot of it stayed the same. I mean, I came to find, to find, especially through seminary, you know, I would take a lot of church history classes. And for me, that's more a history of people. It mm-hmm. has nothing really to do with God at all. Well, it does, but you know what I mean? Like they're separate. And so I don't know. Seminary, seminary was a, it's still a confusing time because I have to sort of wrestle with my own faith, at, like Christianity, but then I've also got to wrestle with my beliefs in AA of everybody makes up their own conception of a higher power. They've, everybody's got their own higher power. But for me, still, I always just go back to AA. It's that I never want to judge what somebody else sees as their higher power because I don't know how God works and I don't like to put a, it's hard, it is hard for me to say like, oh, God works this way because I've been taught in AA that we can't do that, you know, mm-hmm. where in seminary, you're sort of trained to say, oh, this is how God works, or this is what God's doing here in this verse. But interesting. Well, yeah. you know, what I'm what I'm hearing, and, and uh, I've, I've had this conversation with other people as well, is is in general, it's, it's the experience that in AA, I have a personal relationship mm-hmm. with my higher power. I'm connected to my higher power, whereas my understanding and my early years experience with Christianity or with religion period is that religion is the connector between me and a higher power. Mm -hmm. And through what I've experienced in recovery, I don't need that connector anymore. I have the direct connection and that's what works. Mm -hmm. But there are absolutely people who need some help. Right. I mean, I needed help. AA was my help. AA is not religion folks. So, you know, religion helps some people connect to their higher totally. power, mm-hmm. but some people uh, find out we don't need it. Yeah, I love that because for me, AA and church both help me connect, but it's nice to know that, you know, people, some people in seminary, not everybody, but some people will say that only church is the way to go. Or in other religions, people will say that only, you know, quite common is the with way religions. To go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's, it's freeing for me to say that. AA also leads me there. And so I don't have to demand that other people do what I do. You know, if I, if church is something that I get a lot out of, or, you know, people I know get a lot out of, AA is telling me, I don't, I don't demand that from anybody, you know, that yeah. you can go to AA and get a spiritual experience probably a lot sooner than you will in church, depending <laughs> on who you are. Well, it depends you're on you're going to have to hit bottom really hard yeah, first. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, but people do, I mean, I, I didn't believe it at all. I was so adamantly anti-religion and I just hated I used to say that Christianity was responsible for all the evil in the world I mean you know it's exaggerating for effect but all the wars fought in the name of of God I grew up in the church and my parents had this little statue and it said it was praying hands and and under it it was written be still and know I am the Lord well, I thought that was such bull. <laughs> I just looked at, I would look at that and just with contempt at when I became a teenager, it mm-hmm. was like, I, I no longer believe it because I, 
saw some racism in the church that I was grown up in, and it was blatant. And I just, all of a sudden, it's like, you know, I cannot handle this hypocrisy. Mm -hmm. And all of this is a big pretense, and it's a social game. And I'm not participating in it anymore, and, and all these people are full of bull, including, you know, my parents. Well, who am I have finally realized after maybe probably about 10 years in recovery, I kept, was one day that popped in my mind, I'm going, who am I to judge whether they were had a relationship with a higher power mm -hmm. through that symbol and through those words, because mm -hmm. I mean, there's not a lot of lot of difference between "be still and know I am the Lord" and and some of the expressions that we use in AA. And yet, for me in AA, I found a connection with a higher power that is very real in my life, mm -hmm. and has made me a better person and a happier person. So. I can't judge anyone in any religion the way those who are finding it as a path, you know. Every, every, they're all a path. Yeah. They're all a path. They're all a path. Also, every organization has its assholes. That's right. true. Okay? So true. So there are definitely assholes in the religions, various religions. There are assholes in AA. Well, that's right. I mean, I've, I've heard if you take a, what happens if you take an alcoholic asshole and take away the drink from him, you still got an asshole. Still got an asshole. <laughs> sure do. But you know, one of the things I did not expect to get from getting my my connection to my higher power in AA was the ability to have a conversation mm -hmm. with, say, my grandmother about God. And she's talking about her understanding of God through Christianity. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about my conception of God and my understanding. And we're not stepping on each other's toes. We're, we're getting it, what each other is saying, and not making either one of us wrong. Right. And that was an unexpected gift. Sweet. Yeah. yeah. And I've had that conversation, you know, that type of conversation with, you know, previous, uh, with coworkers and, and things like that. And, and it's just... Who, who saw that coming? Mm. Especially when I was very much where you are. And you know, religion is not done. Uh, it's, uh, it, religion is not going to be part of my experience. You know, I, just, I don't see that coming into my life. Maybe it will, but probably not. Yeah. It's, it's not now, anyway. Yeah, that's good. I mean, my way forward, I was thinking this while you were talking, my way forward is always that, at least today, I... And I take this from my religious texts and also from the big book is not to judge. And I feel like people, you know, in religious institutions often forget those words. And it's not about, I'm not judging you, but you're still doing wrong. It's about, I'm not supposed to look at what you're doing. I'm supposed to only consider what I'm doing. And AA was really what shocked me awake to that. Like, I can't really look at what other people are doing, not even about the higher power issue, but about anything in AA. Like, I can't take someone's uh, inventory. I can't judge their situation and it's that's still tough for me but it's really hard to stay i try to stay just in my lane you know what i mean and you know for some people religion works and some people it doesn't but i can't i don't even like to put my finger on like who god is and tell people who god is because it's such a transcendent thing that i have to respect everybody else and you know i'm not who am i to say how god's working you know mm -hmm. i can't i don't know yeah it's a mystery it's a great mystery yeah. Well, that's what I liked about AA was the message always was come along with me if you want to. If you want and, to. And leading by example. Mm -hmm. And yeah. not telling what you have to do. Right. Telling what I've done. What I've done. Exactly. To take that into a church would be a beautiful thing. It would. It would. You know, I've often wondered about how to, how would churches do that? But, you know, I, I think AA just does it so well. I'm not sure that. Churches do it though. Yeah, some they do. Mm -hmm. Some do. I mean, I've, some do. Yeah, I know a, uh, a minister. He said he it, he got out of seminary and it was his first job. He was working in an in, inner city, and he was going and taking God to people for about six months, and it wasn't working. He wasn't connecting with anyone. He was miserable. Hmm. He made a decision one day that he would go out today and see where he could see God. 
and everything turned around for him. Cool. Wow. Yeah. That's a beautiful that's way a for it to be. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, you know, the idea of the way that I share my experience in AA, for that to make its way into religion mm-hmm. seems totally possible for me because I did that being a physical fitness trainer. You know, I was leading a boot camp of, you know, 20 different people and my recovery was showing up in how I was helping those people participate in being physically fit. Uh, So, I mean, when we live this program, it shows up in everything we do. Every aspect of our life, yeah. So I can totally see that happening with with someone who's working within religion Mm -hmm. to share their experience that... You know, if they're really living AA, if they're living the principles of this program, it's going to show up in how they present their their sermons or, or conversations right. with parishioners or whatever. Mm-hmm. And everything they do. Yeah. yeah. Last two months in uh, our home group, we've been talking about sex and, and God showing up in the bedroom. So if, they, if it works oh, there, it works everywhere. So, Charles, how's that going for you? Sex. (laughs) (laughs) Now about sex. And now about sex. (laughs) Well, you know, it's interesting you bring that up, actually, because I did the one thing that they tell you not to do in AA, which is dating in the first year. I dated two girls in the first year. At the same time, right? At the exact same time. Dude, awesome. (laughs) You're joking. Yeah, oh yeah. I dated the... The first girl I did only about a month in, and then the second girl about six months in. But then after that, I had such a emotion. I hit such an emotional bottom mm-hmm. that, you know, I talked to my sponsor, and my sponsor was never one hundred percent about, of course, about me dating in early sobriety. And I told him, I said, you know, I, I really just want to take a year. I actually want to do what they say and take a year. And I did. And I didn't date. I didn't go out with anybody. I just worked my program. I went to work. I mean, you know, it was just like rinse and repeat every day for a year. Mm-hmm. And at first it kind of sucked because I was trying to fill that void that people talk about, you know, that God-sized hole within you. Mm-hmm. I really was with relationships. That year really gave me an opportunity to just sort of work on my relationship with my higher power and with people in the program. And now I'm in a great relationship. I mean, I can't even, there aren't even words for it. Like it's, there's... There's nothing like it's just the greatest girl I've ever met, and we're in a great relationship. We're committed to each other, and it's just something, something that's happened in my life that I never thought would, you know. And it's because of this program, 100% because of this program. And you know, it, how? Well, you know, just probably doing what I was told, getting a sponsor, going to meetings, and just being like having the humility to not think that I'm so important all the time. Like, I, you know, this was the thing I struggled with in grad school is that I, I have so much to do and I'm so, I'm all of a sudden so important. But like being able to just daily let that go, you know, it's just, it makes life so much easier and it makes relationships possible, mm-hmm. you know, when you can just let things go, let God work. Um, and then you can show up for life. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks so. for showing up here at the Boiled Owl Coffee oh, yeah. Club. Absolutely. Enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Charles. But uh, don't go anywhere because oh, we still have. Oh, well, the guard owl will keep him here. Yeah, the yeah. guard the owl is guard circling owl. now and uh-huh. coming down for our question <laughs> for the old timer. <laughs> it's time for our old timer's question. Who you calling an old timer? You. That's what happens if you don't drink and you don't die. No matter how long you've been sober, it's still one day at a time, Sonny. Don't call me Sonny. <laughs> if, you <Share>. to, <laughs> if you want to. If you want to. That's old reference. Good. That's an old reference, though. I don't know how many. I'm going to call you Captain now. <laughs> Tennille, uh, if you want to ask us a question, go to boiledowlaa.org. Today's question comes from Mildred in Kansas City. Which Kansas City? Well, you know... Does it matter? Not in the least. All right. Actually, not in the least. <laughs> Kansas City. Here I come. Well, is it going to be Kansas City, Kansas, or Missouri? Which one? Uh, okay. I bet we could find a Kansas City in some other state, too. Probably, Probably really, really tiny. I bet we could. Kansas yeah. City, Oregon? There we go. I'm down <laughs> with that. This is from Kansas City, Oregon. All right. I only drank alcohol. 
I hear so many people share about other stuff, you know, outside issues. Am I bad enough for AA? Am Stump I, the old timer. <laughs> am I bad enough for AA? Yes. The point is, is to not focus on everyone. I, I did that as well. I would compare uh, what my story is with what people were sharing. And the main thing to do is to see where I am can relate to what they're sharing. What, what's the word? Where I'm alike or identify with what they're sharing, yes. not to, I need to uh, identify in instead of identify out, because everybody's got different experiences, and everybody's got different stories, but if you listen to enough people and, and enough different experiences, you'll find certain core areas inside of what they're saying. They're, they're all the same with alcoholics. We all have this, the, the same and even, you know, with um, drug addicts, it makes no difference. We all have the same powerlessness that uh, over our lives that we're trying to fix by changing the way that I feel about myself by using some substance. And for me, it was alcohol. At a certain point, that alcohol took over. And listening to people share and comparing myself out was kind of one thing that really got my goat was people would say a whole lot and I still hear people say it and I, I'm used to it now it doesn't bother me like it used to but it I still don't like it it's when people say I'm a real alcoholic I knew that was coming <laughs> because uh, what am I an unreal alcoholic I'm an unreal alcoholic fantasy alcoholic <laughs> you're a fake alcoholic <laughs> well right that's my disease pops up and goes hey I don't think that we're a part of this. I don't think you're a real alcoholic. So then if I'm going to listen to that voice, I'm going to go back out and have to drink some more and have more of the horrible experiences that I was living in for the last the last two years were a psychic nightmare for me. And I don't want to live that way anymore. So the question is, do I ever drink when I don't want to drink and I've got to identify, do I want to drink or do I not want to drink? And if I don't want to drink, AA is going to work. And listen to the stories and, and identify with the parts that you can relate to. And you know it's a long elevator going down, and I don't have to ride it down to the bottom floor. And I can be of service to people getting off at any floor. So if I'm a high-bottom drunk versus the low-bottom drunk, you'll hear those things called in out in meetings. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, some high-bottom drunks have totally questioned whether is, I don't, my story is not bad enough to, to, like, to help somebody or anything like Bullshit. Right. right. Bullshit. Mm -hmm. You know, the pain that I, I didn't lose my house. I didn't lose my job. I didn't lose my partner. I didn't lose. I mean, I tried to kill myself. Um but that's because the pain that I was feeling was so strong. And what we're talking about is what we experience, our pain, the feelings that we're bringing into this. That's where the relation comes in. And I love how that, you know, the, the, the directions that we have when telling our story from the podium in particular is that we share in a general way. And the general way is sharing such that people can get, can relate to the feelings, to the thinking that was going on, to the insanity, to the hope that's presented, and things like that. And I think another, this is the perfect time to bring out the, the tradition that the only requirement for membership in AA is a desire to stop drinking. That's it. If you have a desire not to drink, then you belong. And you're welcome at any meeting. Absolutely. Yeah, and the other thing is you wouldn't... Somebody told me in early sobriety was that you don't just walk into these rooms randomly, you know? <laughs> Something's <True>. going on. <laughs> Something's going on that drove you into that door, you know? And yeah. it doesn't matter. If you compare yourself to other people, you know, of course other people's stories sound... some. But somebody's story might sound worse, but also most of the stories I relate to, at least mo the majority of it, I relate to what people say. And, you know, it was... Comparing in early sobriety was a big deal for me. I mean, I would 
I, I guess it was my disease trying to keep me away from getting better. Yeah. You know, now I think that's what was happening. But it's like, oh, I, I'm not that bad. You can keep your, your crazy. You know, I'm not as crazy as you. But today, I, you know, I know that I am just as crazy as everybody else. But you're the, you're the good kind of crazy. The good kind of crazy, crazy. right. Yeah. I'm the real crazy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it really comes down, uh, I was talking with some friends recently, and it's like, yeah, you know, when in my drinking and using days, I was hanging out with people who drank and used like I did. Party people who really knew how to do it. Absolutely. Well, I'm still hanging out with those people. They're just not partying like that. They're just too good at it. <laughs> yeah, really, really. We, we excelled. <laughs> but I'm still hanging out with the people like graduated. that. There we go. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm still hanging out with, with professional partiers. I'm hanging out with people that are my kind of people. But they're also the, my kind of people who are making healthy choices in life. Yeah, that's why it's mm-hmm. so much fun. Yes. That's why A is so much fun. Because oh, I'm yeah. still hanging out with, all, with alcoholics. Yeah, you're still hanging out I'm with the party crowd. sober alcoholics. <laughs> and it never ceases to amaze me how much everybody in the rooms thinks like I do. Oh, yeah. I mean, it comes up all the time. Like, people will tell a story or somebody will say something about their drinking days. And I think, you just said what? I always used to do or what I'm thinking. It's a bizarre. Yes. And that's the greatest part about it is that we all have so much in common. That's it's the coolest great. thing. <laughs> I love that, that that's that thing that if you stick around long enough, you will hear someone tell your story. Absolutely. You Absolutely. really will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, what happened when you read the question, Sam, was uh, I kept thinking of the Tom Waits song. You're as bad as me. It's a great song, and it's like running, running through my mind. How am I going to tie this in there? But I think I'll just play a bit of it. You're the same. You're the same. You're the same kind of man as me. You're the same kind of man as me. <laughs> Charles, thanks for joining us. Absolutely, this has been fantastic. Yeah, Glad I, you joined. I enjoyed it. It was Thank great. You. Thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. Visit our website at boiledowlaa.org. There you can leave feedback, ask us our question, or you can email us at giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city, or visit aa.org. Please note, Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of AA and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services. Give me that rattlesnake sound. I hope you're recording right now. Can you hear it? Yeah. Well, an owl side of rattlesnake. (laughs) (laughs) Watch it. Boiled owl and fried rattlesnake. rattlesnake. (laughs) That's why that owl is hanging around here. It's looking for a rattlesnake. All kinds of variety here. All right, here we go. Silence for a minute.